podcast of Antioch Church in Colorado Springs. If you've been impacted by this ministry and would like to support the work we're doing in Colorado Springs, you can give online at our website, antiochcos.com. We hope that the Lord ministers to you through this message. And um, so for those of you guys who either are new with us today, or if you missed last week, we started a series on money. And um, we are tackling this, hopefully, to uh, give us a biblical worldview on this big taboo subject called money. And uh, I love it because I have one of our faithful church members text me last Sunday and she said, yeah, I was one of those ones who didn't really want to hear about money, but I'm really, really excited now after your conversation with Jonathan. Um, Our hope is to get into the spirit of the law behind this. Our hope is to understand um, the heart of God and his heart for people. And, uh, and again, how we as the church um, can be the vehicle and the engine, the hands and the feet of Jesus to touch the world. And we can use kingdom resources to do that. So having said all that, Tom, I'm going to have you come forward. I had an amazing conversation with Tom Jennings. For those of you who do not know Tom Jennings, um, this, he and his wife are just hidden gems. They've been with us for about a, a little over a year. And I'm telling you, when you read his resume, it's just ridiculous. I'm not going to read his resume because he wants to just jump in and get into the material. I know Tom is like, seriously, let me just dive into this. But let me tell you, this man has been to over 40 countries as an international consultant, training leaders in every field, education, government, nonprofit, church, business, um, and training up people all around the world to have God's heart as it relates to kingdom finance and to community transformation. And God has planted the Jennings here in this house. And this is his specialty. Understanding the spiritual roots of poverty and wealth is his specialty. He trains the nations in this. And so I thought, why am I teaching this? Let's let the expert teach this. So for the next two weeks, Tom is going to teach us. Tom, take it away, man. So grateful for your ministry. Thank you for what you're going to give to us today and next week. Thank you as well. Thank you. Well, it's good to be with. It's good to be here this morning, and uh, there's a lot of information that we're going to have to kind of zoom through pretty quickly. But essentially, community transformation is what really motivates me. And uh, I may not look like it up here. I'm pretty quiet natured, but I'm jumping up and down inside with excitement about what God wants to do in our community. And even what we've just heard with, with the uh, opportunities to be involved in our community this way, I really believe that's what the church is all about. It's what the body of Christ is called to be and to do. And uh, so we're just going to jump into this and talk about one aspect uh, that's almost an umbrella or a portion under an umbrella of many others. And as we look at community transformation and what it's all about, and the financial side of how we as Christians live, there's also an aspect of it, and that's poverty. There are people who have desperate situations and who, for whom it is not going particularly well. And so this morning, we want to just take a, a beginning, you know, dive into the river of what this all means and what uh, all of these things are about. So, um, I'm just going to kind of go through this because as we look at communities and community transformation, poverty is one of the biggest issues we have to resolve. Along with that, stewarding what God has given us, how that is to be used, how we're to build the kingdom through that. 
And so if you look at the effects of poverty, it's pretty staggering. And I won't take time this morning to go into any of the details of this, but many times when we talk about poverty on a worldwide basis, you can read the statistics up here. It's staggering. The impact on people's lives. When Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly, we often have to ask the question, well, where is that? What's happening when you see statistics like this? And particularly the children and the impact that it has on, on their lives. Uh, I think I jumped ahead, sorry. Um, because in that, the, there we go. In that, the children are the ones that are often most impacted. And even in our local communities, we see that there's so much that isn't going well. Uh, just two or three days ago, I, I was watching the news where it said that in Oregon, the state of Oregon, homelessness over the last four years is up by 18%. And you got to go, what is wrong here? What's, what's happening? Or in our country, which really we're doing pretty well, but in 2018, statistics show that there was an 11.8% poverty rate nationwide. So we've got some issues that we, as a body of Christ, have to really address and begin to see what's happening there. Uh, not too long ago, there was a group in Rwanda that did a, a survey with people that were receiving funds, and they asked them, what is your definition of poverty? And it's quite interesting, when you look at all the lists that they put together, um, it was more about the inner things, less about the outer things. The feelings of insecurity, the feelings of, of helplessness, the feelings of not having a voice, all of those things. And Interestingly, money was only mentioned one time. So let's take a look at what is this all about, the poor and poverty. And Proverbs is filled with scriptures on that. And uh, it tells us that really what we're looking at is how do we understand those that don't have certain things? How do we walk alongside them? How do we give them that which they're lacking? And in that, um, to understand that these people are simply waiting to understand and to have someone be concerned with their circumstances. That's really what the gospel message is, is how do we go out and address the issues of poverty and come alongside people and help them build a foundation from which they can grow their lives. God has told us, and even last Sunday, I believe this scripture was mentioned, where give me not too much and not too little. It seems to be that poverty is not so much about what we have, but our attitude toward it. And so if we are at peace in our own spirit, then we are able to live in abundance or a base in what we don't have. And that is really important for our lives. Otherwise, we're never really satisfied with where we're at. So I like to talk about this as a continuum. A continuum is essentially a space from here to here. And we find ourselves somewhere on that continuum. And when we look at that, I like to ask people, what is real wealth? Typically, we say, well, money. Well, that could be a part of it. But real wealth is much more. It's relationships. It's health. It's so many different things that are real wealth. And as we look at that, if we were to put this on a continuum, I call it the dependency to dignity continuum, 
Well, most of us would say that real wealth is over on the, the dignity side. But what about poverty? Where's poverty at? Well, I don't think it's fair to say it's the other extreme. In fact, I think we have to say that poverty is probably below the midline, but it's not the far end of it, because that would describe more what I call pauperism. Paupers are those who have absolutely nothing. They can't survive without someone taking care of them. And so poverty really describes something that you can either go further down that one continuum, or you can improve your life and your circumstances. And obviously, as Christians, we want to help people move towards that dignity direction. My clicker is just barely getting a signal. There we go. So in order to understand how we can look at this and not get caught up in the emotion of things, we really have to begin to look at what is our belief system? What is our worldview as we look at all these things? And essentially a worldview is, it's a set of lenses that we look through. It's how we see our world around us. And it's so subtle, we often don't even know we have one. And yet that, that worldview is what defines everything that we do how we make our decisions, how we live our lives. If you were to look at that picture there, you see this little boy looking at the world with a magnifying glass. How many lenses are there? Most people would say three, but it's actually five. He's got two lenses, one in each eye. We don't see those lenses, but quite frankly, those are the most important of all five. If we don't have lenses in our eyes, you can have all the other ones you want. You won't see anything. And that is kind of what a worldview is. So as we look at that, that belief system, um, basically what we have is, and I can't read the back, uh, in each of our lives there have been key people that have helped us to shape and to form that worldview that we have. If we look at some of them, it could be people such as our parents, teachers, our pastor, all kinds of different influences that we have. One of them sticks out immensely right there in the middle. That's the media. And the media has probably shaped us more in our generation than almost anything else, disproportionately so. But it's that cumulative effect of your worldview and mine and all of ours together that shapes our community and the world that we live in. So if we describe this as a tree, because I like to make things very visible and practical, essentially a worldview or our belief system are the roots. That is what determines everything that goes up in through the tree. The trunk could be compared to our values. And whatever our worldview is, it helps us set our values. And then through that, we begin to behave in certain ways. And as a result of that, the fruit is born in our lives. For example, if our belief system doesn't put any understanding of the creation of God and who you and I are, we won't place much value on that. And then the result might be that we say, well, you know, I'm pregnant with a child that I really don't want, but it's just tissue. There's no value to it. And therefore, my behavior is I will get an abortion. And the fruit of that is death. It is not life. Now, unfortunately, in most of our lives, we've been told, by their fruits you shall know them. And we look at the tree and we see a bad apple. 
And we say, well, let's pull that apple off the tree. It's bad. We'll throw it away. That could be putting someone in prison or some other form that, that we're involved in. But essentially, if you pull that apple and that's all you do, what do you think will happen next year when it grows another apple? It'll probably be bad again. And so the challenge is, is that Jesus said, by their fruits you shall know them. Why? So that we could do something. So we don't just say, oh, you're a bad apple. But we actually go in and we change their lives. We walk with them. We, we, we befriend them and we help them change. Well, how does that happen? Well, in this picture, you would trace that apple down through the branch, through the trunk, to wherever the roots are. And you'd begin to look, well, is it missing nitrogen? Is it miss, missing potash, something else? What's causing this apple not to grow healthy? So don't pull it off. Find out what the root cause is. And as you get down to the roots of things, now you begin to change something permanently. Now you've got a long-term answer, not a short-term solution, where you just throw something away. So, essentially, what we have to understand as Christians is, do we just build on ground surface? Jesus said that was an unwise builder, didn't he? And yet, often we do. When we do, then basically the stones that we put on there are like these. They're not good stones. They don't fit together. And when you build a building, basically it's not a healthy building either. So what we have to do is what Jesus really said, and that is dig down to bedrock. It's not enough just to lay good foundations. You can even take the bad stones away and put good stones in there, but it still won't hold the building. If you dig down to bedrock, and by the way, that's what happened with the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Do you ever wonder why it tipped? Good stones. That building's 800 years old. Not every building lasts 800 years. That building lasted because it had good foundation stones. I used to think, well, the problem was bad foundation stones. No, it was good. Problem was they didn't anchor it in bedrock. And that's our worldview. We can teach our children to go to Sunday school hear about David and Goliath and all the good stories and don't lie, don't cheat, don't this, don't that. But if they don't understand why, if they haven't been given a worldview that they understand, they, in the time of pressure, may or may not continue on. And so digging down to bedrock is crucial. It's crucial in understanding poverty. It's crucial in how we use our money. All of these things are, are essential. So if we lay cornerstones of truth, then the stones begin to fit together. And now you begin to have a good solid basis from which you can build. When you build on that, now you've got a strong building. If we don't, you have to ask the question, what are we building? What will be the effects? And how will it change how that building looks later? I'm gonna show you a picture now. I want you to see if you can figure out what's even in this picture because the builder didn't understand these concepts. Can you figure out what that is? It's a building that tipped over completely. A picture was taken from a neighboring building looking down at it, and I'm going to show you a picture now looking from the bottom of that building back up at where the picture was taken. No foundation anchored to anything. 
This guy put little toothpicks in the ground, little cement sticks, but that didn't hold the building. And the reason was greed. He knew it cost more to dig a, found, to dig a hole in the ground and make that foundation solid. So this happened, uh, by the way, in China. And, <laughs> and this, this is a real building. Fortunately, nobody'd moved in yet, but the people were outraged. How could you build a building that wasn't anchored into bedrock, wasn't anchored into anything? And he said, no problem. You can move into one of those other buildings. <laughs> no? No, of course not. If he built one that way, he built them all that way. Unless you want to have a quick ride to the ground, you're not going to move in there. Well, this is a very graphic picture of what happens when we do not anchor into bedrock. You can see there are foundations, but anchored into nothing. And so it's essential for all of us in whatever we do to begin to understand how do we anchor our lives into understanding why we believe what we believe. So the worldviews, going to have to go through this fairly quickly, but there are many worldviews, and this is not a philosophy class, so I'm not going to look at all of them. But what I want you to look at today, and then next week we'll get in more to the other one, is first of all, the most common one that we have, and that's humanism. And how humanism combined with materialism impacts the vast majority of the population of the world today. If you go around the world, there is, even in Buddhist, Hindu, Marxist nations, humanism and materialism is what you'll find. It is the primary worldview here in the U.S. And in fact, it has been so well camouflaged that most Christians actually accept humanism and materialism as an acceptable worldview. The other one being, of course, a biblical worldview, and we'll look at that more next week. So if we look at materialism, it basically says that hunger and poverty are just a result of the lack of resources. How many times have we heard that on the media? The media is the primary lackey to propagate this worldview. There's a lack of resources, there's a lack of everything, and that's the problem. If we had a table with four people uh, and they wanted to eat pizza and it comes divided into three slices, well, sorry, somebody's going to do without, and it's a lack of resources. Well, no, it isn't. That's just what we've been taught. So humanism similarly says that basically we are God. And we, we tend to think, well, humanism really isn't all that bad. It's just it's more about man. Well, yeah, but stop and think. It was the worldview of humanism that got all of us kicked out of the garden. That was humanism. You will be as gods. You will know all things. It was humanism. And so as we look at that, we begin to see that, that humanism essentially has taken us down a path of focusing on ourselves, focusing on what we can do, and our whole desire to improve mankind. So humanism, as I said, is probably the most common worldview that we see in the world today. Basically, it says mankind is good. You and I, you're good. Everything's fine. It's the system. System's bad, and that's the problem. It's, it's them. It's them. It's not you. It's them. Well, who's them? We are them. 
And so the fallacy of this worldview is that mankind isn't good and mankind made the system that's bad. And so the fruit of that we see. And if we use the previous slide about the tree, we can look at the fruit and trace it down and see exactly where the problem is. And so this worldview has led so many astray and led us to believe that we can actually feel good about ourselves apart from God and apart from Jesus. And so it concludes that mankind's endeavors have always failed for a few simple reasons. It's just too many people, too few resources, and a very corrupt, complex system. And that all sounds good. But when you dig into it, which we won't have time to do today, it really leads you astray from where the truth is. So as we look at this, there's a lot that we can learn because in the world today, essentially what people are telling us is it's all about resources. It's all about the lack of them. It's all about the problems that are created by them. So what you have is a worldview that creates envy, strife, and all kinds of greed. And that is humanism. Now, humanism says it's a bad system. You're okay. I'm okay. But now, because somebody else is taking all the resources, now we've got a problem. Well, if that were really the case, and if really we, we felt like the pizza slices aren't big enough then we could do something about it. But the mindset is, well, it's just that way and people are greedy and we now have to fight over these resources. And so the challenge for all of us is, is to realize that this isn't true. As Christians, we have to understand, and we'll get into this more next week, but we have to understand that basically God has created an open universe and God is involved in our lives. Humanism, because it does not believe in God, says that God doesn't enter our world, even if there was one. God is somehow outside the universe. And so now you've got all these lacks. And if you see and go around that, that uh, five-edged uh, diagram, every one of them talks about a lack. Lack of this, lack of that, lack, lack, lack. And I always say if it Lacks like a duck, it probably is a duck. Anyway, um, there's a lack of all these things. Well, that may be true, but as believers, we have opportunities to change this. So what we have to do is begin to go into situations, go back to the tree that I showed, and begin to identify what are the fruits. What is there? And the challenge is, if we do not change the root we cannot change the fruit. Impossible. Because the fruit grows out of the roots. And so all of these things can be changed when we begin to identify them from a biblical worldview. So that changes everything. If we look at it as a humanistic, materialistic worldview, we will all be frustrated just as most people in the world are today. And that's why the challenge to each of us today is, how do we go into our communities? How do we work in Colorado Springs and begin to bring a biblical worldview understanding of how life functions? Because right now, people are very frustrated, not just here in Colorado Springs, but around the world. They feel like somehow the deck is stacked against them. 
And it is if you don't believe there's a God. If you don't believe there's a God, it's pretty miserable. But if God is there, this changes everything. And so what we've got to do is we look at working into Colorado Springs and into our communities is to begin to understand why do we believe what we believe? Who is God? And all of this takes us back to the nature and character of God. Hebrews 11:6. He who comes to God must believe that he is, that's the nature, and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. That's his character. And that is what that is our message to our community. We have a God who's unchanging. There's no shadow of turning. There's no change in him. We can trust him. We can work with him. We can walk with him. We can learn from him. And he rewards us as we do. There is a relationship of life, of transformation. And so in moving into our communities and looking at the financial situations, asking the questions on pauperism uh, and poverty and all of those things, now, all of a sudden, we have answers. We have something that is an anchor that we can hold on to and build in. And as we look, you know, at that building just a moment ago, and we realize here's something that someone endeavored to build, but did it so poorly that it fell over. Well, we also want to look at what we do and make sure we've anchored everything we do into a very clear biblical worldview. If we don't and we just start to build, we will miss that anchor. We will miss that understanding of who God is and why he is and how he brings transformation into communities. So I get excited about this because in, in teaching and training this over the years, we've actually seen whole communities become transformed. Um, one example was in Indonesia amongst Muslims, Sharia-compliant Muslims. And the entire community began to be transformed because they realized this wasn't true. And they, we didn't, uh, you had to be a little careful. You couldn't just walk up and say, we're Christians. They figured we were, but you couldn't say, now I'm going to teach you a biblical worldview. Uh, you could, but you'd end up about eight inches shorter, you know. But after we began to work with them, suddenly they began to say, what is the whole picture here? What is it that you're telling us and how shall we live? And at that point, the doors were open and we had people who knew how to share amongst Muslims. And they began to share that Jesus is not just the prophet, but he's the redeemer. And now suddenly, because their whole life is being transformed, they're open to see that transformation take place. And we had literally two whole clans who gave their lives to Christ. That is community transformation. The next thing they began to do was to say, you know, in the, in the business things that you've helped us create, we have profits. What do we do with them? What do we do with the money that we're now earning? We said, what would you want to do? Because you see, there's got to be buy-in from the community. And they said, well, we don't have any sanitation. Well, and I'd noticed that they had a little bridge built on bamboo poles across the river and they did their business there. Well, that was nice for them, but the people downstream, not so good. And now they wanted to put sanitation in. So we begin to see that if we can change the, the, 
the bedrock anchoring of their foundations, now the entire community begins to be changed. So people, um, as they work in it, we've been taught, and, and a lot of it's from the media, to believe the system that we're in. What we have an opportunity to do right now is to change that entire system, to help people understand that communities and individuals and those who've received aid under this system are no better off today than they were 10 years ago. They're, in fact, usually worse off. They're now dependent. They're now convinced they can't do anything. And so the net effect has been there's been very, very precious little um, transformation take place. Poverty hasn't been alleviated. And it's because the worldview is not a biblical worldview. So it encourages us that as we go out, we have, a, a, we have truth and we have it anchored and it will bring about a transformation to these communities. So this is kind of just a very brief intro. We're going to look at it a bit more next week and we're going to understand how we can take that biblical worldview to bring about transformation in communities. Amen. Tom, that was outstanding. I'm like on the edge of my seat. Uh, what Tom teaches, literally, he takes three days when he goes into other countries. So we are scratching the surface, just barely. Um, but Tom, thank you so much for condensing all of that. Sometimes it's a lot harder to take all of that and squeeze it down into a little bit less time. So thank you. Thank you for listening to the Antioch Church Sermon of the Week. For more information about us, visit AntiochCOS.com.